Hello, guys, and welcome to episode 34 of the Syntho podcast. Today is a good one. I actually think this is one of the best episodes I have done, if not the best. It's with Grego O'Halloran. I hope I pronounced your surname right, bro. He's the owner of Unum Festival. He works at Jukebox PR as head of business development. He spent over 12 years at DC10. He's worked for Resident Advisor, Ibiza Spotlight. This guy has done a lot. And in this podcast, you'll hear a lot of clues of how he got where he is. He's clearly a very clever guy, very hardworking. And we had an amazing conversation. And it's left me very inspired about many of my own projects and kind of realizing um, what I've got in front of me and realizing that actually hard work is needed, but the whole process can be fun as well. So whether you're an aspiring producer, promoter, I don't know, trying to get a better balance on life, you'll gain something from this. I think it's an amazing conversation. And before we begin, let me remind you that this podcast is sponsored by my own Syntho electronic music learning platform. It is a platform to help you achieve what you want with your music, whether you're intermediate, advanced, or a complete beginner. There's something for you inside it. You can find your links attached to this video to sign up. Any questions, just get in touch. There will be a £10 link for a trial inside Syntho attached to this anyway. So yeah. Let's get into it, guys. Hope you enjoy it. Please leave any feedback, like, comment, subscribe, all that jazz. Let's go. So, Grego, welcome to the podcast. The first time we've ever spoke. So, to introduce yourself to the audience and myself, really, um, give us a short elevator pitch on who you are. Okay, so um, I'm Grego. I'm, I'm, I'm originally from Liverpool, but I live in Ibiza for about 20 years now. Um, I'm a promoter, but I was also working. Uh, I've worked in media and um, press and marketing for, for a long time. I've worked at DC10 for about 10 years. I worked at Amnesia for about 10 years in Ibiza. Um, currently working for Resistance um, on the island. I also am head of business development for Jukebox PR. Um, which is a big PR company that does about 200 festivals and events around the world. Um, I'm a partner in Secret Society, which is a promotion and events company. We do events all over the world. The last one we did was Ricardo Villalobos in Uruguay in January. And um, I also run Unum Festival in Albania, um, which started in 2019 and was kind of the first festival of its type on, uh, in, in Albania and um, went from strength to strength last year when we did... Uh, pretty much the only festival of the summer in uh, during the pandemic. This is good, man. You just touched on a lot of things I want to talk about. Um, so yeah, a lot of people are asking me about the promoter side of things and running events. And from what you've just said there, it sounds like you are solely a promoter, not DJing as well. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm just a promoter. Yeah, so, solely a promoter. So yeah, my, I mean, my background was I, I kind of <clears throat> started off doing everything from postering and flyering and putting flyers in shops in Ibiza, you know, really, really kind of the apprenticeship. And yeah, um, but yeah, I, I, I was never, I was never really in that position of, of putting, trying to market myself really. It was just the event. So yeah, that kind of put me on that side of the fence really kind of quite early and I just stayed there. And was it Ibiza which really kicked things off for you as a promoter? Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, I went when I was 17. I think it was, again, <clears throat> all by chance, really. You know, the stars aligned. I went um, on a kind of lads holiday, typical thing. And it's, you know, a bit cheesy to say, but it really did change my life. You know, uh, I've got had three children that have been brought up here. Um, one of them born on the island. I've lived here for over 15 years. You know, I, I knew straight away that I wanted to live here and work here. And the island's given me everything, really, including everything. All my work opportunities have come from Ibiza, including the festival in Albania. You know, it's through connections I've met and people I've met in, in Ibiza. So you're living in Ibiza to this day? Yeah, yeah, no, so I'm still here. So yeah, I mean, one of the things that's always been different about me really is compared to a lot of people of my age. So, you know, I had kids quite young and they grew up here. So I made the decision really early to to just kind of emigrate and live in Ibiza. And rather than wait until I was 50 or 60 and retire to the sun, I, I thought, why don't we do it now? And um, I've always had that kind of, um, yeah, the balance really between the family life and um having that time with them and enjoying life here in Ibiza with them and also obviously working in the music industry which isn't always friendly towards that kind of uh, lifestyle really. 
Yeah, I got asked a question this week. It was, how do I stay living in the moment and enjoying every day whilst trying to pursue all these great things like I'm trying to achieve the festival, grow this podcast, grow Syntho, grow myself as a DJ. And I, my answer actually was that this is something I'm really struggling with because I've constantly got these big landmarks of things I'm working towards. And it almost feels like I'm delaying enjoying the present moment until, for example, this year, Hide and Seek's um, happened. How do you combat a constant busy schedule with truly being present with your kids, your family, and actually enjoying what you've achieved so far? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really good question. And to be honest, it, I, I'd be lying if I said I found the, 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 the answer to this and, I'm, and, and, I'm, I'm, and I can preach about this necessarily. I mean, certainly I remember when I was younger, I, I definitely didn't have as much balance as I, as I have now. It was, it was, you know, I'd work constantly. And, and obviously sometimes if you work constantly, like that, that's not actually helpful. You know, you, you kind of, you know, the emails are always going to keep coming. The more emails you send, the more will come back. Um, there has to be a time when you, you know, you need that downtime. So things like, you know, I'd, I'd always work on weekends. You know, there was times when I missed, uh, you know, important f- friends or, or, or a partner's birthday or something. And it was like, you know, you know, because I, I had to do some work and it was during the day and, Though I look back and I actually regret that you know those things weren't really that important. You know I should I should have I should have taken the time for for my for my things for my personal things. So I think I think that that's part of it is that you just have to make yourself do it. Um, I know some people who like say well, I don't work weekends. You know if they if they work during the week they'll do their events on the weekend and they they're not answering emails they're not responsive and that that's fair enough. I think one thing definitely in terms of enjoying the moment or, or looking at achievements it, that's also something that. I think generally people aren't necessarily, uh, and certainly I'm not like this. I don't, I don't sit there and go, oh yes, look at everything I've achieved, and you know I haven't got a trophy cabinet per se or anything like that. It's you know, but from time to time when when you do look at it, I think it's important to. I think really actually it's important to have people around you who <laughs> remind you of stuff like this as well, because um, whether that's family, a partner, friends, um, because if you know sometimes it's it's better heard from someone else um that than than kind of having to remind yourself about it but um yeah certainly certainly i think the the, the idea the word balance i've used it a few times and that wasn't intentional it just seems to have come out trying to find that um and and giving yourself some some kind of limits of what you're going to do um having a routine is is obviously really difficult in this industry and something i i still struggle with to this day but is 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 if you can have something approaching that um, I think I think again the, the the last thing just on this point was that the the key thing for me is that um, you know I, it took me quite a long time to find the way to balance um, being a promoter working four or five nights a week in Ibiza burning the candle at both ends and then trying to do a, a day's work on a laptop it, it just wasn't compatible it just you know it was impossible to do plus the family um, so something had to give and and that meant that I did less nights and and did more stuff in the day. Um, but then also the way we operate, you never know which where the next opportunity is coming from. And um, certainly with Unum, for example, that was an opportunity that kind of came from nowhere almost. And it was very intensive because obviously it was a completely new project and we were flying by the seat of our pants and it was a steep, really steep learning curve. So, um, yeah, it's, it's nice to think, right, this is my lane. I'm going to stay in it. But quite often uh, you have to keep changing to, to get where you want to go. Yeah, so before we talk about Unum, um, the classic is like when Hide and Seek last year, for example, we had the best day. But instead of saying how good the day was, we're like, right, next year, let's do two days. And I think this constant thing of uh, what's next, I think it's quite contagious to us all. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I completely hear you. Look, I mean, it's 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 kind of one of those, I mean, Gordon Ramsay, I, I kind of like watching him sometimes. And he always talks about, he wants to know about he doesn't want to know about the good things, good things people say about him. He wants to know about the bad things because that's how he can improve. And obviously that, you know, we're talking about a high end 1% kind of individual there who just, you know, is, is brutal and ruthless in, in, in his pursuit of, of success. And, you know, that, 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 that's okay there. But I, I, I think deep down, most of us are, are kind of similar. It's like, you know, um, whether it's in sport or, or or even in art, it's like, you know, you, you want to know how you can improve, be better, do something different, be more creative. Um, you, you, I mean, there, there are moments though, I think, and yeah, I think I've had def- definitely moments at events and you've had it there at, at Hide and Seek where there must have been a time when someone came and said, 
you know, look at what we've done here. You know, you have that and then you get the goosebumps and you can you can take a moment, but then it's gone again because the generator's broken or so, you know, the toilet is gone in and yeah, you snapped you, you snap straight back out of it. But um yeah, I think it's it's yeah, it's quite poignant what you're talking about and it, it's it's nice sometimes I think to reflect on those things and um certainly I, I don't know, I know Facebook and Instagram help you with their memories, certainly at least remember those things. I know most most of the stuff that I, I talk about is just stuff that's come up in my Facebook memories at the minute, especially during the pandemic because there was nothing going on. But yeah, no, no, you're right. It's um I think we it's always good. I think certainly if you work in a team, this is something I'd say, if you work in a team or like in an organization, as an individual, it's it's a little bit hard. If you work in a team, definitely dedicating time whether that's once a week for a team meeting or once a month where you do a team bonding and you go, look, this is what we've achieved this month is, 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 is a, is a much easier way and a much easier forum for that to kind of be um, disseminated. You know, it's not like you're just patting yourself on your back. You can, you know, as a team collectively, you can do that. And I think, yeah, that, that's, that also has a different strength. So. Yeah. So you said Unum Festival uh, came out of nowhere. Well, I would, I would think a festival in Albania seems quite um, for me, nothing I would ever consider starting. Can you talk about how that actually came up? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so basically, um, my, one of my business partners, Musa, who runs Secret Society with me, um, it came through him. He, he's been around the scene forever, along the same time as me. And um, he connected with some guys from Kosovo, Booty and Chukla, they're called, they're the owners and partners of, of, of Unum as well. And um, uh, I can't remember what, what, where that was, maybe a Sonos festival in, in Croatia. And they were at the stage where they had opportunities. They were doing stuff in Kosovo already. They were done. Uh, there's a club called Zone there, which is, you know, iconic really in, in the city. And that's that had been running and they'd been running events since the end of the, the war in the, at the late 90s. You know, it's, uh, you know, what 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 they'd done there to kind of keep the scene going was just incredible. But um, uh, the opportunity came to do something in Albania where they wanted, they had a piece of land. We could do a festival. And really, uh, you have to understand, and I'm constantly reminded about this, is that the people in the Balkans, you know, a lot of a lot of them grew up under under the bomb. You know, a lot of them grew up uh, in in a war torn situation, or even if they didn't directly grow up, then you know their parents did. They might have moved. They've got family that they, they you know that has been lost or has changed place where they grew up or whatever. So they don't see things. And, and, and I'm not speaking for people from the Balkans, but. From, from what I've been told and from what I've experienced, they don't see things in, in quite the same way that perhaps you or I would do. So the idea of doing this festival is like, um, if you sat down and actually planned it out, you'd never do it because it's just impossible. It's just, there's just no way for that to work. But um, that that's kind of, um, that, that was kind of the ethos of what we were doing. It was like, look, this is just impossible, but we're going to do it. And then we got so far down the road that we couldn't turn back and we just had to make it happen. Um, so yeah, no, I was brought in because my, a, lot of, a lot of the stuff I've done in the past has been around ticketing, press, marketing, PR, communication. Obviously, I have my own international network of people I speak to and, and through, my, through, my, through my work. Um, and they they wanted that kind of that kind of vibe for the festival as well because obviously we were aiming for <clears throat> local locals we wanted to create a scene in Albania it wasn't it wasn't a case of um, perhaps like a festival like Hideout they go to Croatia the people go for a few days and they leave um, this was we wanted to create something in Albania and, and for the Balkans so that there was a scene there but we needed obviously the international presence as well. And um, that was that was one of my main roles, really. So yeah, I got involved on that level, and, and to be honest, right from the start, right from day one, it was <clears throat> it was all hands to the pump. It was um, yeah, everyone involved in doing everything to to make sure that the festival worked. And obviously, at the actual festival itself, it was it was ten times more more stressful and full on than anything I've ever experienced. But we we, we got through it and we did it. And actually, those things. You know, those moments when uh, there was a generator where the, someone took the keys home for a, ge a generator for a stage that wasn't open. Um, then we couldn't find the, the spare pair. So we had to hop wire the generator to get the stage started. So <clears throat> those moments were kind of, yeah, you wouldn't wish for that to happen, but actually it created a moment in itself, you know. So it's, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was uh, certainly, again, it, it came from nowhere in terms of the opportunity, but yeah, the, the, the connections had probably been there for a few years of the people that got me involved. And what do you think makes doing a festival in that location so unique? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I mean, 
there's, there's a few things. The first thing is that look, the, Alba, Albania as a country is um, it's you know it's it's part of Europe, or it, it's certainly trying to integrate much more with the EU and, and become fully European. Um, it's on the same coast as Croatia, so it's there. You know, it's 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 not really that far away, but it's really untouched. It it doesn't have a real a tourism scene. You know, for obvious reasons. You know, it uh, and this is why the tourism ministry and and the government are so keen to work with festivals like us because. You know, um, there, there needs to be more, perhaps more of a reason for people to go to Albania. And if there's a festival happening, then th that's a good reason. Then people go, they see the country, they experience the food and they see the nature. And then then next thing you know, they, they're, they're more open to the idea. It's good. Obviously, this is a long term thing that's going to happen. But that that's that's on the on the kind of macro level in terms of the actual festival itself. Um, you know, w w the festival takes place on the beach, basically. So you have the, the beach and the sea there. On the Adriatic, you get amazing sunsets. Um, it's very mountainous as well, so there's mountain backdrop, and then there's a forest pine backdrop as well. So you kind of, you know, when you compare that to again a, a festival, it, a, your average festival in England, which takes place within a, a marquee tent in a field, it, it just obviously doesn't compare. There are obviously some other advantages. You know, we don't really have any restrictions in terms of time or sound. Um, which has been which has been uh, allowed us to run continuously on some stages, and also, um, you know, we don't have to kind of worry about finishing at midnight because we're going to upset neighbours and this kind of thing. So that, there's that element, and and also I think just that um, people certainly in the modern day people are more willing to explore, they're more willing to uh, go on an adventure, um, and yeah, and I think even more so now after the pandemic, you know, perhaps if if you were before the pandemic going to SW4, Creamfields, uh, all these different festivals, doing the, doing the, you know, Reading and Leeds, you were doing kind of the circle of these festivals. At a certain moment, you probably look at something like what's going on in Albania and it's like, well, that, that sounds like an adventure. Um, and, and yeah, that, that's kind of our, our unique selling point. As well, it's it's extremely cheap in Albania. Um, you know, we're, we're in the lucky position we can sell water for one euro uh i think a beer is 150 or something you know that's at the festival outside of the festival it's even cheaper so yeah and lineup wise for those listening you've literally got the the top dogs haven't you across so uh ricardo um i'll let you, you let you list the best ones yeah i mean so, so basically the the idea was i mean th this is our music this is the, all the partners this is our sound you know um uh, the romanian micro minimal house kind of thing um, but we knew from the start that wasn't going to be just enough because he, as much as, you know, we have, we have obviously Raresh and um, Radu, Seth, Seth, Trockler, Seth Trockler's come in because I, I, my point was I was going to make was that we needed to have just a little, a little bit of a different element there where we couldn't just have it fo solely focus on one, one sound. I mean, even at some waves they have, you know, they have Corolla and Hot Since 82 and stuff. So we needed to distinguish the, the, the areas because we have three stages a beach stage a pine stage and a main stage so um it's taken us a little bit of time to really get the identities going of the main stage and the, and the beach and the beach stage the pine stage was always since day one the ricardo zip sound um but yeah with with the beach stage this year we're gonna have people like shimza playing lalu so we're gonna try and create a bit of a separate vibe there because obviously if you're at a festival for four or five days this year the festival's actually i think six days um, if you're at a festival for six, for six days, um, you know you need to you need to vary it up and have a little bit of um, diversity in terms of the sounds that you're going to hear. So we, that's that's what we try to do on that level. Um, on the main stage, yeah, we 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 have uh, Seth Paco Asuna. So we, we kind of yeah dip into the kind of more techie and techno kind of aspects of it. Um, but yeah, the, one of the important things for us is that we we work with partners. So obviously we're going to work with you and me. Um, we're working with Half Baked, working with After Capacile from Italy, um, Watermelon from Barcelona. In the past, we worked with Nordstein and some some waves and Club Divisionaire, um, just to kind of give that identity of what we're about and, and to explain, you know, um, what you know what 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 the kind of musical ethos is. Um, I have to say though, one thing just to, to get um, into the detail this year was, um, and I think this is generally something that people are uh, um, encountering that. Um, bookings are, have been really difficult this year because I think on the same weekend as Unum there is Creamfield South, there's Extrema Festival, Junction 2 
So if you're trying to get hold of anyone from yeah Hudson Tate to up to Jamie Jones, you're, you're going to struggle. And obviously we're we're just a little bit out of the way to trying to get it, get those people. But we've we yeah we we've we've just worked around it. And to be honest, the thing with us is that now we're in a, we're in the nice situation is that the festival works on its own anyway without necessarily have, having to have those headliners. And um, one of the things that's really important as well, I have to stress this, is that we have got a lot of names. There's a lot of artists there, but we've got tons of local artists as well. Tons of local artists, not just from Albania, but from the Balkans as as a whole. Um, this is something from the start as well that we wanted to that we wanted to put in place because we wanted to engage with the locals. We wanted to engage with, you know, um, it's important for me to say this is a local organized festival. It's you know the partners are, are from Kosovo and Albania. It's not just some foreigners going in there and doing this. So we wanted to engage with the locals and have that those artists there. Um, again, they've not had the platform to to um, to really expose themselves and and to, to promote themselves in this way. And um, Unum's yeah, kind of been like this this big holy grail kind of thing for them, where you know eureka moment where this this big things come. And now they've had a platform to reach the world. And a lot of the artists that we brought in, a lot of the 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 the, the, the artists from outside external. From, the, from from outside of Albania are now working and collaborating with these local artists. They're booking them for events. Um, and that we, we kind of knew that would happen, but we didn't think it would happen so quickly. Yeah, this is amazing to offer a platform as well to the upcoming artists there to get some exposure. And as a booker yourself, not just from the Unum perspective, what are the things you think upcoming artists should be doing to try and stand out and market their music online? This is this is yeah this is a real tricky one. Um, honestly, um, this this changes. You know, for, for, I, the, the first thing I'm going to say is that I think that the basics are really important. You know, um, having you know having the profiles is really important. You know, um, making sure all your information's there. You know, if you if you take this back, you know, it's the equivalent of you know the the old CD or even the tape or or the or the you know the acetate vinyl that didn't have any information on it. You've got to take that into the digital age and think, well, you know, if, if I'm an artist and I want a profile, you, you have to create the platforms and 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 the, and the and the profiles on all the all the different platforms to give yourself that identity. That's important. Um, in terms of standing out, um, I think the personal the personal aspect is massive. You know, look, it's, for, for me for me, I listen to quite a lot of music, but I wouldn't say that I listen to. I always wish I could listen to more. Um, and often often the way that I book artists is based on yeah personal preference obviously and, and what's what we think is going to work for the party and luckily I have partners so we we can always work in it in a, on a kind of committee basis which helps because I think if you were just doing it on your own there's m- more of a tendency to kind of go rogue but certainly I know for Unum and I know you said outside of Unum but for Unum we almost exclusively book artists that we know and that we 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 have a personal connection with um that kind of also feeds into the the event the event itself because that means that most of the people there it's like a kind of family vibes people aren't just coming playing and leaving even the connection with with you and me with you guys that's come through myself knowing Kurt as well you know and that that's a personal thing so honestly for, for an artist in terms of in terms of um yeah getting getting being seen and, and getting out there I can't stress enough the personal um the personal contact element of it. I mean, I worked at DC10 for years and honestly, a lot of the people will go there and hang out in the back, hang out and have a drink. And, you know, they perhaps at the time weren't thinking about, oh, I'm going to play at DC10 or I want to play at DC10. Or they certainly they were thinking, I want to play at DC10. But by hanging around and talking to Antonio and Andrea and getting to meet everyone, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily a case of, all right, there's a gap, get your records and jump on. But it was like, when when suddenly the stars kind of start coming aligned and you realize that you know, the owner realizes that actually this guy's done a track with that guy it, it kind of it, the networking just kind of then pays off it's kind of the, the yeah the the moment when it all comes together so yeah for me when I, when i get a message through instagram or when someone contacts me directly and says hey hello i'm 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 a new dj i'm doing this i've got a track will you listen i always always prioritize that stuff because yeah, they've made a little bit more effort. I know that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm getting the best music, but also in terms of the event, um, I often think as well, look, if if someone is out there making amazing music and they they can't manage to get it to to people, that that's obviously 
not ideal, but at the same time, when it comes to the event, and I'm thinking as a promoter, maybe selfishly, you know, I, I'm going to want an artist who's engaged and committed to what's going on, and that's that's also why that's also why I love booking like new talent because I'd rather have an artist come and play who's an unknown for an event, and I know they're going to bring a load of friends, they're going to have energy behind the decks, they're going to be up for it, they're going to talk about it, they're going to tell everyone about it, rather than paying probably five times that amount for an older older artist who is going to moan and grumble and probably doesn't want to be there um you know it's it's you know you either keep up with the keep keep up or you you know you fall behind in my opinion yeah it's a quote i always use a simple way to get lucky is being a nice guy because then when the opportunity comes up say say a warm-up set comes up for you and me in the bar i firstly think right which people do i actually like then it's like, okay, are they a good DJ? Second, it's not like who's a great DJ first. I usually think like, let me try and think of someone I'd actually genuinely like. Um, and it comes back to that networking thing. And now I'm starting to get bookings every week and I look at guys a similar level to me. I met them like five, six years ago. I think it's the same with all the promoters as well. The guys that are now at the top of the promoting game, kind of, if you look down the tree, they all met like 10 years ago. Um and it's like the Circle Oak thing you just mentioned that no one randomly just gets a slot at main stage um, or in the main room at Circo. It usually comes from like a, you know, he met him, he met him, he met him and it feeds there. But obviously we're saying go and meet people, etc. If you are a producer now sat in your bedroom listening to this and you don't actually know any DJs, promoters, what are the actual first steps to going out and making these connections? As it's easily said, oh, go and meet people. But I think if you don't know many people in the scene, it can be quite an overwhelming task. Yeah, I mean, it's you're right. It's like, look, I, I first of all, I agree about being nice. Um, you know, I, 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 I'd like to think I, I've never really fucked anyone over in the industry. Um, and, you know, uh, especially in Ibiza, you know, it's that things, you know, things come back come back on you very quickly so i've always been very very quick to to make sure that i you know i treat everyone with respect and i'm nice and that's kind of yeah that's kind of i think paid off really and um i know with a lot of artists you know we, we have the same thing when we book them it's like even even going up the tree it's like if they're not nice you know it's you don't want the hassle at your event of someone being an being arsy um in terms of in terms of if they don't know someone and, and really getting out there yeah, man, it's difficult because at some stage, if, if they, if they, I mean, from a production point of view, that's different. You know, th there are ways of doing that. You can do it online. You can speak to labels. You can speak to um, even how get, you know, do, do some press for yourself or try and do a collab or something like this or start your own label potentially. Um, and you could, you could do it all behind a mask and, 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 and outside of the, outside of the, the, the kind of public gaze. But if you're, wanting to be an artist at some stage you have to you have to be there so um it's a it's a difficult one to like to kind of just say well get out there because i know that doesn't really help but effectively yeah you you have to kind of uh, i mean there's a guy i met the other day he, he'd messaged me before the event uh, he was telling me about his music and then at the event he just came straight up to me and said hello and introduced himself and i, I loved it it was like it, it just um i've got so much more time for someone like that than someone who yeah, I know. I know someone. Someone might be a bit more shy or whatever, but it, it's just I've got more time for someone like that than someone who, you know, spends five years and kind of doesn't do it. Because as well, at the end of the day, something like something like this, it is, it is an art. It is, you know, it, it, you have to you have to have that part of of it inside you to be able to go in, go and go and put yourself in front of an audience and put your put your work out there for for assessment and and critique and stuff like that. It's, it, it can be brutal, of course. Um, um, I really like the tone of the questions because because I, I I really think about these things as well a lot in terms of like you know what if you're a really nice guy making amazing music how how do you get where you need to go but it's also it's not quite like sports but if you if you're not able to rough it if you're not able to get in, get stuck in and and do it unfortunately you probably yeah you're probably not going to make it to be honest yeah i i take great pride in the fact that i've met so many people on the dance floor i met kurt in sankey's um like my first final release was with luca Cazell's label i met him at an after party in ibiza um like Ben Rao, we came to play for you and me. All the things were personal connections usually. I then stemmed me to release their labels, get booked for them. Um, and I think the pandemic maybe has allowed people to feel like they can connect with the world through a computer. However, human interaction and human connection can never be 
um, beaten. And I think that when we talk about a lot of these things about kind of being sound and open opportunities, you can make the intro online, but I think a name to a face goes a long way, especially in a hyper-competitive industry. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I agree. I mean, again, um, I completely agree. As I said before, it's like if you... It, I mean, and look, I'm kind of quite a shy person myself. I'm not necessarily, I mean, most people say, yeah, whatever, but I, I'm not necessarily the always the first person to go up and introduce myself. But I, I remember doing it a lot, a lot of times going up to people, um, people like Danny Whittle of Pasha and Andrea at DC10 the first time, go up and introduce myself. And like, I had nothing to say about myself, but it was, you know, you st- I still went and did it. And then, you know, it took a while, but over time, it, you know, you, you you then build build something to the point where, and with artists as well, especially, you know, look, I, I think as well, if you're an artist, other artists, generally, generally other artists are kind of receptive to that. I mean, certainly in my experience, not speaking as an artist, but when I'm with artists, if someone else who's a younger artist comes and starts to speak to them, most most of the artists I know, and I, and I could say, well, because they're nice, but most of them have got time to listen because they're into the music so there's there's something there which connects them on a different level i think if you're just a promoter or working marketing or something and someone comes up to you, you you're probably less likely to have that connection artistically or whatever so um i certainly i think yeah for, for young producers and stuff i think the first thing is get your get your own house in order that's it get your ducks in a row get your get your shit under control know who you are know what you want to do and that might take a bit of time as well then start asking questions. You know, um, one of one of the people I love listening to because I just agree with everything he, he says is Gary V, the American like kind of entrepreneur guy, and he just he's all about empathy, being nice, talking to people. Um, if if he was if he was a, a producer, he'd make a track and then send it to a five hundred people um, just to see what they think. Not necessarily saying give me a track. Um, obviously, I know you've got to be careful. You don't send out a piece of crap to loads of people and they never listen to you again, but. Um, yeah, it, I, I, with these things, I really think you know you you know you me- you mentioned your quote before about being um, was it if you're lucky, be nice. A simple way to get lucky is just be nice, be sound. Yeah, be nice. yeah. I, I fully believe as well. You know, the, the harder you work, the luckier you, you are as well. So, yeah, I really like Gary V's whole philosophy on things, and it seems to be a common theme by a lot of these kind of super successful American guys. There's a guy I was watching yesterday called Noah Keegan who's like a market guy who used to work for Facebook and he created AppSumo, which is like a 300 million pound business or something like that. And he did a YouTube video on how to create a million pound business in a day. And he was literally getting on the phone to fellow, you know, tech moguls and trying to sell pitches and things like that. And I think even our industry, sometimes it can be a matter of, you know, messaging people direct and not being so passive. I recently created a thing on marketing where it's like everyone's constantly putting these stories up, etc. But sometimes you need to go and create conversation yourself by going and messaging people, complimenting on their things and increase the chances they come out on your thing by times 10. You know, if like an artist comment on my picture saying, oh, well done, mate, this looks sick. I'd be like, okay, what a nice guy. Maybe I'll come out on his thing next time. And it's almost like going out there to create the noise about yourself opposed to waiting for it to come to you all the time. Yeah, I think I think it's, it's also one of them. And again, we're, we're kind of getting into the... Um, I, I found myself doing this kind of so, so, uh, uh, subconsciously almost in the last, I'd say in the last few years, because, you know, it's it's also one of those things where, you know, I, I didn't necessarily need to be doing it. I was I was in the roles I was in. I, I didn't need to necessarily be engaging with people in that way. Then when you start to run a festival, yeah, and, you, and you're doing marketing and online stuff, which I've done a lot more of recently, especially with Jukebox, um, and you've got your own events, which I've had a lot more of my own events recently as well. You, you you engage in a different way and it's it's even just um <laughs> it sounds so corny but i always use the uh, the rocket emoji whenever i see whenever someone posts any lineup that i like i'll use that rocket emoji and i notice that everyone starts coming back to me with the same thing and like commenting and it's just and it's because again at the, without going too cheesy a little bit we, we are all kind of on this journey of dance music culture which is different you know it is a subculture still in my opinion it's still something different you know look at you guys in Manchester with Animal Crossing, you work together. Um, I work with Ollie as well. I work with you. We're all working on the same festivals. We're all working with After Capocile from Italy. We're all we're all kind of part of the big. We're all booking the same artists, but we all still coexist. And and of course, um, 
you know, if you if 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 you can be, and this is very Gary V as well. If you can have um, happiness and and like be be proud almost of their success, there's a chance that you know those same people are going to come to your event the next week. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very much. I think you're right. It's you know you have to kind of do that um, outreach, but almost at, at the start that might seem like a labour, but over time I think. Now we probably just do it without thinking, really. Um, we probably do it without thinking. And, yeah, it, it, certainly, you know, um, certainly I, I know I do. And um, that's that's kind of part of the job as well, actually. Yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, Gary V, I know he's a massive fan of NFTs. Yeah. And I know, I know yourself are doing some work in that space. Do you want to touch on that? Yeah, definitely. So um, with, with Jukebox, 100%. So with Jukebox, we... We, uh, where did this begin? So about uh, six or seven months ago, um, we were approached by, um, let me remember who it was. Um, so we, first of all, we've done Sven Vath, we've done Ricardo Villalobos, we've done um, Matteo from Tale of Us. Um, we've, we've, basically what's happened is we, we did a, an NFT a PR campaign for, for a client and we realized that we were the only ones operating in that space. There's, it's obviously a new space. Um, there was nobody else doing this specifically in music, but, but also just, you know, if you launch an NFT and you want to hit all the NFT press, cause now there's obviously an NFT press, there's an NFT kind of communication network. Um, and very rapidly, again, it's kind of time, you know, timing and, and being in the right place at the right time. We, we've very rapidly become, we think, we think we're the only company really doing this, which is, is also interesting because um, obviously other PR companies are, are kind of in their music or sport or, fashion or whatever it may be and we've we've just kind of fallen into to the nft um area and um yeah uh actually alex jukes who runs a company he was in moga festival in portugal they used to do, uh one of the first nft kind of uh conferences uh last week uh or sorry this week and just as soon as people hear because there's a lot of money in that space as well as soon as people hear that we can offer this service and we can get them in front of the the top 10, 15, 20 media that they'll, they'll come to us. One of the things um, Gary V said, actually, I watched him yesterday, which is interesting. Um, and this is this is a good way to understand NFTs, in my opinion. And um, he, he, people, the question to him was, will why why will NFTs work, or or will NFTs work, or will they always work? And he said, NFTs by themselves aren't necessarily going to work just because they're an NFT. It's the same way if you're a fashion brand that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to work. It's the same way if you're a drinks brand, that doesn't mean you're going to work. But if you're Coca-Cola, you work. If you're Supreme fashion brand, it works. And and for NFTs, it's the same. If if me and you today, Josh, did an NFT, I'm pretty sure it would tank because we might not have that much to offer. But if you're Ricardo Villalobos, I'm probably sure it's going to go boom like that. And, and that's actually what happened. So it's it's not necessarily the NFT itself. It's the brand and and the the the, the, the artist or the the creation behind that. Um, I really I really think that this is something that is just going to become yeah normal. Now you see football clubs back jumping on this, and um, the 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 way that we understand it as well is that you know there's um, it doesn't really matter what we think how much value we put to it. There are people out there who are trading in these and and that. Uh, and they put I put value in it, so that's that's definitely yeah definitely something that um, yeah we we've kind of stumbled into it really, and then and then very rapidly this has become a big a big part of our business. So yeah. So you're a big um, crypto advocate. Are you team crypto? Yeah, I mean I wouldn't say I'm massively team crypto. I mean I com- I completely I completely get it, of course. Um, I, the only thing is obviously um, obviously there are still times when you see that it's not quite reached critical mass yet. I mean, obviously there's only a tiny fraction of, of people using this, you know, if I was to speak to my mom or most of my family, clueless, no idea, blah, blah, blah. So it's still only a tiny fraction of people using this. So it's, it's, it's a long way from being, um, um, kind of, um, reaching market saturation but if you if you compare it to say something like internet usage you know everyone says this one but i'm not i i use that to my mum. i use that analogy but it's, i just don't it's quite the same. i didn't use that i don't even know they did but i was just gonna say i was gonna say like or even tv usage or something it's like i'm, I'm not saying it could become like that but he, i mean I, every technology i think you know cashless 
uh, Apple Pay, Chip and Pin, all of these things that they kind of came and, and look, crypto at the end of the day, it's just another way of doing things and we don't know how it's going to go. But um, I, I just think it's interesting now, certainly, certainly as well in our space, people will, you know, you'll be able to use crypto to buy drinks very soon in all clubs and, and bars. You know, my last event, um, I was paid in crypto. You know, that was that was how we shared the revenue, stuff like that um yeah yeah well we've um experienced our first south america tour and obviously trying to get paid by them is a bit of a nightmare because of currency exchange and all that so we're experimenting doing crypto for that so um not quite got over the line yet but this will be my first experience of actually taking money in that um but yeah yeah i mean i mean it's it's i think it's just one of them like look it really you know when if we were to look back in 10 years at this conversation we we probably laugh at how how like quaint it seems but um at the same time you know there are there are things that i thought 10 years ago would have taken off and, and didn't and um certainly it, may, it might become a custom that you know payments are made in a different way altogether you know yeah i don't know yeah i mean i've got some money in there so it does blow up how do you feel about it how do you, how do you feel about it do you mind or i've got i spent way too much time during lockdown with kurt who'll be listening to this investing in stocks and shares and crypto and and like all sorts um obviously learn like surface level stuff i would say i've got enough money in the space that if it really does get adopted by modern society i probably will see enough money off on a return but um i'm not sure man i was i have if i consider where we are now with my portfolio to where it was like four months ago and it was rocking like it's still going up and down like a yo-yo so i'm not too sure i'm i'm there i'm here for it but i'm not like you know like some people seem to post about every single day on instagram story um but i i don't know yeah no i'm, I'm i mean i know again i know a lot of people who are doing it I, i'm not i'm i'm too busy trying to <laughs> get the next event up and running exactly exactly yeah I don't know. Hopefully, it makes complete sense. But also, um, man, you see all these shit coins that get pumped and dumped and things like that. So there's still so much like um, people exploiting it as well. So I think that's a massive deterrent to its adoption by a lot. So if we go back to the promoter stuff, I know Kurt's interested in this. How did you actually get your foot in the door in Ibiza? Like skip the the lads' holiday bit. But how did you actually go from kind of raver to genuinely getting paid to do something? Yeah, I mean, again, I think, first of all, it's important to say, I think Ibiza is a little bit different because it's it's still, I mean, I've just come from a meeting. Um, some guys are, are running a series of events in Ibiza. They, they don't really uh, know the island so well. And they, they're surprised by the fact that they have to do things like flyering and postering and wristbands and street promo teams, you know. In, in Manchester or London, you know, you're not you're not putting teams of people flying on the streets. It's it's all digital. It's all online. I know it's obviously a completely different market, but Ibiza is very different in that regard. So so in terms of how I got involved, um, again, it, it was there was an element of you know talking to people and chatting and you know saying hello to people. But I, yeah, I got a job postering for Clockwork Orange. Actually, was the first people I worked for Clockwork Orange, and then from there, actually, my partner who I put the posters up with is now vice president of three, six zero group, uh, Phil sales. So, um, they managed Calvin Harris and dead mouse. So <laughs> yeah, we, we, we came from small beginnings, but it's, it's, you know, that was just, you know, that was, it was one step from being a raver. It was kind of an excuse to be there as a raver. So it was like that. And then, and then slowly it just became a case of, you know, I realized that I wanted to be more, more involved in, um by the time I was like living in Ibiza like full time, um it, it, it again was kind of more of a um a means to an end than than a calling necessarily. It wasn't like, all right, this is what I always want to do. I wasn't in a job and then doing that at the weekend. It was my job basically. And and that yeah, and the way the way the way into it was just again through contacts, people I knew, I knew and um taking small steps, you know, at the time, you know, you you have to you a lot of the time in this industry, you can't you can't just fast forward through stuff. Um, I mean, if you're an artist and you have a mega hit, maybe, but you know, uh, you can't just create something out of nothing. You have to you have to be there, put the hours in, 
uh, even even the artists, I would say you have to do that. You know, you have to put the hours in, you have to put the years in, you have to meet the people, you have to build it up slowly. You know, you have to you know you have to have the ups and you have to have the the rough with the smooth. And basically, um, yeah. So I, I did everything possible. And I think that the key for me to promoting is it. You know, you realize that you know when I try and explain to people who don't really understand it, what, what do you do? And I said, literally everything, you know, getting in the car, driving over there and doing that, picking someone up, calling this person, that's happened, this happened, fire, emergency, staff. It's, it's everything that's required to make the event run smoothly. Um, and, and for me at the time when I was starting out doing that, it was just really, really easy to do that because I was quite, quite pragmatic, quite assertive, getting stuff done, quite confident, right, let's get this stuff done. Over time, obviously, that develops to the point where rather than just being a part of a team that's promoting, you're the one thinking about the ideas about how to develop it. And that's when it becomes a little bit, I'd say, a, a, well, a lot easier because then you're in control of what you're doing. And even though it's, you know, you can go from working for Cream, for example, that was working for, to, to, to running my own smaller parties, Um it was yeah. It was very much a case of you know once you're in control of that, then you can, then you can kind of manipulate it in the way that you want and make sure things go the way you want. Because I, honestly, I think a lot of a lot of being a promoter is firefighting. So if you can make sure that the fires aren't going to be there in the first place, then you you're halfway there. And at what point did you feel like you'd hit a point where actually this is a job? Because I can imagine at the start they were just like, here's X amount of money, go and do this this event's on here, go and do this. At what point did you actually sit back and think, okay, this is potentially going to be a job which could allow me to build a career? This is such a strange one because I was talking to someone about this the other day and it goes back to what you said before about um, at what point do we sit, sit back and go, look at what I've achieved or look what I've done or look where I am or look at all the things I do. I still don't feel like I've got there. I still kind of like, I don't wake up and go, all right, this is my job. I, I just kind of get on with it. And like, even in circumstances, like if I'm like the people, the real, the people who I really think are in the music industry, that from my point of view, just the way I see things is, you know, the agent at William Morris and, you know, a manager from 360 and, you know, someone who's in publishing, this type of thing, you know, me doing some events in Ibiza and a festival, but it's almost like I'm still just playing at it. It's only when you stop and go, well, actually you've done all of these things that you really realize that there's, there's something there. But I think it was when, yeah, no, I think it was when it, it got to the stage where um, probably when I, I was like, yeah, after a few years when I was working at DC town, I was working at cream and, and, and I was also working for resident advisor and it's like, all of a sudden I'm working for these three massive brands, you know, I kind of, yeah, I kind of had to stop myself a little bit and go, right. Okay. This is, this is serious now. And then, and then at that stage, um, I, I, I wouldn't say I had some kind of master plan or strategy or anything. It was just a case of taking all the opportunities as they come. I mean, I, I'm very much, a, very much, even now, I think obviously then I was like working for individual companies, but now I'm kind of a lot more freelance. If if there's an opportunity that came up tomorrow and it was XYZ in Venezuela, um, I'd, I'd look at it and see, is there a way we can do something here? Um, I, I'd, I'd really... It, it kind of almost, especially after Albania and what happened there and doing something in Uruguay, which was a, an event that Ricardo hadn't played there for 10 years or something like that. And it was really special to make that happen. Actually doing these things in wacky and wild places is as much of a buzz and, and, and part of what I like doing as part of my job as, you know, obviously earning money, good money, doing something in Ibiza because, yeah, you, you realise that, you know, it's it, you, you, you're kind of creating something and giving something back. And yeah, especially, you know, to do something in, you know, Cameroon, we have an opportunity to do something in Cameroon. And it's like, how does that even, you know, how do you do something there? What's the scene? How will it work? But it's like, that's that's part of the, the magic, really, for me. Still, it's like that, what, what that could turn into. Um, and I guess, I guess during the pandemic, there was a time when I was like, well, you know, everyone had that self, a uh, moment of self, uh, self-questioning and um, looking inside and saying, where, where do I want to, who am I, where am I going, this kind of thing. And, and for me, it was like, look, um, I really just wanted to do what I loved and obviously earn some money from it at the same time. But really I wanted to, my passion is, is dance music culture and, and and spreading that as much as possible and putting events on and connecting people and meeting people. And, and I, I just want to do more of that and actually do more of that with people that 
um, I like working with and are nice and are easy to work with and are my friends because I've had plenty of experiences as well of working with people that you know weren't particularly nice or weren't particularly easy to work with. And I think, yeah, you get to a stage where there's, there's you just don't have the energy for that sort of stuff. So, Yeah, and you mentioned DC10 there. What was your specific role when you worked there? Right, so yeah. So basically, I, I mean, I've been going to DC10 since like almost the start, basically. But in the mid-noughties, um, the club was constantly being closed down. Um, <clears throat> there was problems with uh, the license. At one stage, it only had a license for 15 people the timetables because it was at that stage it was open from six in the morning so it was like the monday after party it was open from six in the morning till kind of sunset um excuse me um so um andrea the club was constantly being closed it was open one week closed the next and andrea actually said to me um i wasn't sure what his plan was but it was all down to andrea polino i'll be honest he basically got me and we walked around the club and he introduced me to everyone he introduced me to Musa, who's now my business partner. He introduced me to all the other DJs. And then at the end, I was like, what, what's going on? And then he told me, we, we need you to come and help explain to the people in the world that the club's open. There was no Facebook. There's no Instagram, nothing. It was, okay, they needed someone who spoke English and was kind of working in press, with, which at the time I was, to be able to disseminate that, to speak to RA, to mix my, to DJ Mag, to spotlight, to all the Ibiza press, um, to kind of get the the ball started on social media was just kind of at its embryonic stages to get the ball rolling on things like that. So at the start, I came in to do that. So I was kind of like, I guess the press guy. But what was interesting was <laughs> at the start, we we just used to say um, uh, the club's open. We, that was the message. And then after a while, when obviously there was a year when the club was closed, which was just looking back, I can't actually believe the club's been open now for over 10 years because in 2008, when it was closed, I just thought, that's it. It's not going to open again. Done. And to think that it's had now, what, 12 seasons since then and gone from strength to strength is just incredible. You know, I, there was no way that there was a comeback from that and, and it has done. So that's great. But um, after that, um, I got involved in everything from doing the ticket in. I, I brought the ticket in, ticket into DC10 and and set that up through Spotlight and then through RA. I was involved in some of the tours, um, and then I was working at the club. I did almost every job possible at the club, um, guest list, working on the door, yeah, done done everything there. And then yeah, no, and then I think after I've been there for I think it was my tenth or eleventh year, I just had other other opportunities. So it was just it was time to time to move on. But yeah, all good with those guys and they've they've just gone like just to another level in the last few years. So sick man. And you mentioned about I beat the spotlight and RA. Was that as a writer? No, so so, so yeah, I mean initially it was, yeah, but then basically I mean again I was speaking to someone else earlier about this that for me, journalism, it was something that I just kind of did to, to earn some money and no one else was really writing about Ibiza at the time. This is probably 2006, 2007. Um, there was no one based in Ibiza really writing about the clubs. There was there was obviously websites like Ibiza Voice, which is where I started as well. There was the, the, They had some writers, but a lot of them were from outside and then they'd come here and write something. So, um, yeah, I started off as a writer, but I think, you know, with, with journalism, you either, it's, it's a devotion, you know, it's a calling, you have to really be into it, um, or, or you're going to get bored very quickly. And I got bored very quickly just cause I, I mean, I honestly, great times I, I wrote and did interviews with everyone from Carl Cox to Corolla several times, Pete Tong, you know, some of my heroes, Frankie Knuckles, I met in, in Amsterdam doing interviews with Richie Horton great all, all great memories but um i was more business focused so very quickly at spotlight i i developed yeah all the ticket in and all the commercial side of the business and then with ra i did the same thing i launched them in ibiza i was like the operations director for kind of the region so in south america and spain and italy and and um and, and ibiza we launched ticket in in the in those regions started media partnerships Things like Sonar, where, uh, Sonar off off week, kind of all the ticketing that happens there, you know that that's still in place from deals that I did, I think ten years ago, which is kind of kind of nice to know that that that's still stuck around. And then yeah, other other relationships with places like Warung in Brazil, The Edge, um, and festivals like Capa Future in, in Italy. 
they were all things that I like I, I put together and again through people I know networking in, in Ibiza and and yeah that, that that was my role there and um after after I left RA um I was just so busy with events that I, I kind of I'd left the media stuff there and I, I thought to be honest it's like after having done after having done the biggest media in Ibiza and the biggest media in electronic music I, I kind of done that part so when you say ticketing what do you mean set up ticketing so set up tickets. So, so basically, in in with RA specifically, they they didn't have they didn't have ticketing in Ibiza. They had maybe they didn't have uh, any relationships with any of the clubs. They didn't have uh, the, you know it seems crazy to think this loud, but they they didn't sell tickets for Amnesia. Ah, uh, so you linked you linked them with the club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 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 basically, um, you know, uh, DC Ten didn't have tickets. I, I set that up through Spotlight. But also at the club had to run it for them and show them how it worked because they didn't have that set up. Um, a lot of the a lot of the clubs had kind of again we're going back. It's 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 crazy to think this was the case, but a lot of the clubs even ten years ago in Ibiza weren't set up to deal with physical uh, online tickets. People coming with different barcodes and scanners that didn't read and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, I specialised in in doing that. I've delivered div- delivered that for big events in in. In Pablo Espanol in Barcelona as well, you know, where we'd sell all the tickets, something like you know, thirty-five thousand tickets or something for the whole week through RA, and I'd be there, put the team together, and, and operate it. Um, so yeah, that that's kind of a lot of the a lot of the stuff that I've been doing is is ticket in. So I know that like the back of my hand as well. Sick. And now you look back at your career, this must be a good time to kind of reflect on it all. What are some of the biggest lessons you have learned through promoting and ticketing and things like that? Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, we've touched upon a few of them already. I think definitely be nice to people. Um, I think, you know, hello, how are you goes a long way. <laughs> I think yesterday I was speaking to someone and he just went straight into something. I was like, stop, come on. Hello, how are you? So no, I think yeah. Look, be nice to people. I think one of one of the really important things is look. This this industry will it will you know chew you, chew you up and spit you out at the you know at the at the best of times, let alone at the worst. I think you know you have to develop uh, develop your own identity and 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 develop um, a, a thick skin, you know, and remind yourself why you're doing this or why you're involved and and not take other people's comments to heart. Like, let's go back to Gary V when he says someone makes a nasty comment on his um, on his uh, on his on his pages or or to him, he just he he feels empathy towards him because he knows they must be hurting. And I think honestly, you know, it's 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 easier said than done sometimes, but. Certainly now that there's there's uh, there's not many situations I'll find myself in where any anything could really affect me and and I know that wasn't always the case in the industry I was eager to move up eager to to please eager to be be liked and be respected and I think the best way to do that is to is to really focus on your plan and your strategy and 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 um, I'm I'm definitely and I'm definitely a fan of kind of. Um, not manifesting these things, but writing them down, you know, write down, write down what, you know, if, 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 I, if I was managing an artist and having done this, you know, and we make a strategy for the plan for the next year, you know, you'd sit down and make a plan, literally write down what you want to achieve. Okay. We want to have more gigs in South America. We want to have uh, more collaborations. We want to have this. You should be doing that for yourself as well. So, okay, these are the areas I work in. Like, look at you, you, you know, you have your podcast, you have your label, you have this, you have that. There's four or five different things there. You know, you, you need a strategy for all of them. So don't be don't be afraid to, yeah, I think to people, you know, don't be afraid to sit down and go, look, this is what I want to achieve. I want to start a label, okay? Well, what do you need to do to achieve that? Like, how many releases do you want? Um, how many parties do you want to promote this year? You want more gigs? Where do you want more gigs? Um, I think writing down a strategy and a plan is doing that. But yeah, I think, mate, honestly, it comes back to what you said before. Be nice. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think there's one thing better than manifesting and that's actually making a plan. I don't really like this word of manifestation. I think it's very, uh, uh, everyone I know that achieves, yeah, it's, a, it's. I get it, but a plan um, with actionable steps, which are clear from A to B to C to D is way more effective than laying in bed, dreaming about playing DC 10. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and out of interest, what are the things that motivate you and inspire you to keep moving forward? Because you've already achieved a lot, and this is something I'm trying to figure out myself. What is it that clearly wants you to strive for more and, and keep pursuing bigger things? 
Do you know what these? I'm just, I just have to say, you, your questions are very, very good. Having done lots of interviews myself, and I, you know, I hosted a panel at AMS for ten years and all this kind of stuff. The questions you're asking are very, very deep. Uh, kind of almost yeah, ethereal questions, like almost to the point where I, I, I'm not sure quite how to answer it. I think honestly, for me, just I'll just be honest. Honestly, for me, like I, I don't think about it too much. I don't, I don't sit there and go, um, okay this is what's inspiring me today. I, I, don't, I don't really think like that. Um, um, I have some obvious things that inspire me, you know, like my kids, you know, living in Ibiza inspires me, um, you know, wanting to to put, put on these events and make people happy as, as well is quite an inspiring thing. Look, at the, we're now at the, just about to start the Ibiza season. I've got my festival coming up and it's like, I know that there's tens of thousands of people who are going to go to events that I'm involved in that, you know, there's decisions I could make that could affect that. And that's kind of, yeah, it's, it's, it's that knowing that you've got to get it right is, is obviously something that, you know, is inspiring because you want, you want those people to go away and having, having had a great time. And, and, and then you can look back and say, well, I, I made that happen in a small way. You know, it's what we do is not important. Let's be honest. You know, we're not teachers or doctors or anything important like that, but you still have that little bit of, little bit of influence to be able to do that and, and inspire people in that way. But I think, um, yeah, I mean, perversely, I'd say definitely one of the things that um, that inspires me is just, yeah, I don't know. I think some people have drive more than others. And what, what something for me is that I just am quite critical of myself generally. Uh, well, definitely critical of myself. Definitely very, like, um, constantly, you know, it could be better. I could be doing this, it could be doing that. And I know that can be very counterproductive as well. But at the same time, that's, that's you know, that fear of failure or fear of fear of you know not being successful is, is, is one of my biggest drivers really well the quote is something like the desire for more is because you're not truly satisfied with where you're at and it's like the guy that earns 20k a year and is happy with that he could considerably be happier than the guy that's earning half a million a year but he wants to earn the million quid a year um and it's something that I'm still trying to figure out. It's like, at what point is enough enough? And, and the goalposts constantly move. It kind of swings right back to where we started this conversation. I think you're, no, you're, you're right, mate. But it's, it's also that that one of like, look, just because, and this is this is definitely something I think you've got to take a step back as well. Just because even if you're at half a million and you want a million, it's that doesn't necessarily mean that that's bad either. It's, it's not that that doesn't, yeah, you need to find out what it is. It's going to make you happy. Um, I think my, 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 the key to happiness for me is just have, you know, your expectations, reality and expectations is a big thing. I've always talked to people about this, you know, like I often say to myself, look, I, I'm from Liverpool and, you know, I live 50 meters from the Mediterranean and the sun's shining outside. You know, I, I literally say this to myself each day. So, it's kind of, you know, you pinch yourself and that's my reality check of, of where I'm at. Um, all the rest, when I first came to Ibiza, I, I was, I said to myself, I'd be happy to clean toilets to live in Ibiza. And I've kind of done that. So I, I always have to remind myself of that a little bit. So yeah, get your expectations in, in, in check. And then, and then the reality will probably look pretty good, I think. And before we finish, I think with often a lot of people who are doing great things, there is some source of learning. Are you a reader, podcaster? Yeah, so um, I, I am a reader. I'm, I'm, I'm podcast. Basically, I listen to um, Modern Wisdom. I don't know if you know this. So do I. Yeah, Modern, yeah, yeah. <laughs> modern Wisdom. So this I, is why I'm having this conversation, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, so I listen to Modern Wisdom. Really, uh, one of my friends, Owen, and a beef turned me on to it. And uh, I didn't realise, but I, I don't know the guy who does it, but I know. The Kurt knows him. Kurt knows him. Kurt used to work I with him. Yeah, I know, I know. I know the company he works for because um, my friend Chani from Leeds, Dave Chan, Gardner Chan, he he works for the same company, Voodoo Events, I think they're called. Um, so I, I indirectly know him, but yeah, it's just fascinating, fascinating the things that that that, that comes on. And look, the big thing for me is that like I speak Spanish fluently. Um, my Catalan's okay. I understand Italian and French. I need to improve the spoken. So that's my that is definitely my learning area there. Um, um, and the other last thing I'll say is that um, yeah, no, I've I've recently got into about three or four months ago transcendental meditation, which is like again, it sounds a bit like kooky, but um, I'm a big Seinfeld fan, and I know he does it. And then I started reading about it, and then a load of people told me about what well, mentioned it, and I sort of read about it and saw the benefits. And yeah, it, I, 
all I can say is, you know, you're not meant to talk about it. You're meant to just point people towards it, but it, it, it's transformational how the effect it has on how, um, how you deal with things. So, yeah, I am going to try and get Chris Williamson on this podcast. I reckon episode 50, episode 50. I still don't think I could quite hold a conversation to the level he goes because his questions, his questions are crazy, man. Um, but yeah, the, I always try and fill like any commute just with a podcast opposed to scrolling on your phone. And I think the compound effects of listening to 30 minutes of a podcast every day opposed to not is scary over the next five years, something like that. Definitely, for sure, yeah. So anything else you want to add today, mate? I think we've covered loads. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, no, we have not. I just, I just wanted to say, look, I know we, we've not personally met before, but I'm really excited for you to come and play, play at Unum. I know you guys are hosting a stage and um, we're, we're going to be announcing that in the next few weeks. Um, I think Dia, Tinny and a few others, Gene on Earth are playing on, on that stage, which I know is right on point musically for you guys because you've had them a few times, haven't you, uh, in Manchester and beyond? And no, I'm just, yeah, looking forward to it. And um, yeah, also, um, you have a, we have an Unum and you and me pre party, don't we, next, uh, well, coming up at Easter. So, yes, we do, which is sold out weeks ago. And considering the current climate for many, not easy, quite some going. not easy at no. all. So, yeah, well done. <laughs> yeah, and we'll attach um, any links below to cool. this for. On them and maybe some travel arrangements that may be on people's minds. So we'll put all the info on this video. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's not that difficult to get there, but yeah, we can we can help with we can help with that as well. Yeah. Okay, man. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time. As I know you're very busy. Likewise, us. And yeah, we'll speak soon, bro. Take it easy, man. Ciao. See you later. See you, man.